Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 125. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, a very special guest, the living legend, Rafael Lovato Jr. Rafael, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been looking forward to having you on. And hey, congratulations on your big tournament win. I mean, this episode probably won't go live for a few weeks, so it might be old news by the time it does. But just this weekend, you won a high-profile match by Kimura. So congrats. Thank you. Yes. And uh, last weekend, I competed at the Dallas Open with my team, and I won my Gi and division there as well. So it was a back-to-back mission, and it was mission accomplished. Yeah. Hey, something I got to ask you, and I'm not sure if this translates well through audio, but I watched that clip of you winning by Kimura, and like you just barely turned the guy's arm and he tapped. And I watched that and thought, you must have had like hellacious pressure because normally when I get someone by Kimura, I've got to get their arm like right behind their back. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, what did you do? Because clearly it was super tight before you even really put a lot of bend into it. Am I am I correct in understanding that? Because that's how it came across on camera. Yeah, so there was a couple of things. Number one, I had his arm away from his belt. So there was no no moment for him to be able to to grab on and, and try to hold out by any means. It was already hyperextended and only going further and further. And then his other arm was trapped in between my hip and my ribs and his face. It was just kind of stuck. Normally, I step over that arm to get over the head, but I was able to get over his head with his arm still kind of in between us. Mm-hmm. And so he couldn't use that arm to defend it in any way. He couldn't grab his belt. It wasn't a complete north-south. I was at a little bit of an angle, just lifting him up enough to put his arm behind his his back. And it was just a kind of a done deal. I just think he didn't want any risk and an injury, and, and he kind of tapped a little quick. Yeah, which is which is fair. I mean, I'm not a big fan of heroically trying to sacrifice a limb to keep going when it's already done, right? So that, that makes a lot of sense. I was just wondering if you had some pointer for the some kind of supernatural pressure or something that was going on there because it looked super tight. Well, I mean, I was very heavy, but I think the key was in one of the biggest elements to my Kimura details is to make sure you're grabbing the hand and not the wrist. So the arm that I'm attacking, I'm holding all the way down on the bottom towards the pinky. And that provides just so much leverage, really hard to to extend your arm out of the Kimura. Plus the monkey grip, I don't use any of my thumbs. Mm-hmm. So I get a lot of... Uh, rotation on it and uh, it puts a lot of pressure just by itself so that's definitely an element and then it was just he was tired he knew it was done and that was it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. awesome amazing well congrats again man and thank you on that note to kind of pivot into a bigger conversation one of the things i really want to talk to you about your story is interesting because of course everyone who is listening to this 
almost certainly knows your accomplishments in the world of jujitsu, but you are kind of what I would consider to be one of the rare people who can take that experience and succeed at high levels in different disciplines, right? I mean, when I think of Rafael Lovato Jr., I think of a guy who is a legend in jujitsu, a guy who was top of game in MMA, and also a guy who's created an incredible association full of really awesome people, some of which I, I came up in the ranks with myself, so I can definitely vouch for. And that's kind of what I'd love to explore with you is just what what is the secret that lies in between? I mean, for me, when I started thinking about this stuff, it was when I read Josh Waitzkin's book, you know, a guy who mm -hmm. was a world champion in chess, world champion in a form of combat Tai Chi, and also a black belt in jujitsu. And that ability to cross transfer your success across different disciplines, I find totally fascinating. And I'd love to maybe ask you just straight up, what's your secret? I mean, how do you do that going from one discipline to, to another? And are there any common traits in the success in those different fields? Oh, yes, 100%. You know, I think you take anybody, you know, whatever their passion may be, if they follow their passion, entrepreneur, some sort of athletics, anyone that just kind of went their own way and managed to become successful, they're basically all sort of doing a lot of the same stuff. I don't think there's really much of a secret. And 100%, if you're a success in one thing, you can definitely apply those same traits and you know lifestyle things that you did to help make you a success in that field into another field and for me everything goes back to martial arts i'm very fortunate to have grown up in a martial arts life my dad is a lifelong martial artist and so for me my whole life has been martial arts since i was a child and basically, I just take everything that I've learned in martial arts and kind of applied it to life. And as I've grown older, I can definitely look back and see some of the, you know, the key things that I did and be able to kind of see how it all worked and how it led me to where I am today and the people that I'm surrounded by, you know, the energy and, and how it's just attracted more and more good things to me to where I feel like now it's, it's even not easier, but, you know, you grow to understand what it takes. And after you've been doing it for as long as I have, you've come across the right people as well. And, you know, you're able to maximize your potential. But like I said, for me, everything goes back to, to being a martial artist. And that just started with being a student, you know, just being a student, being a white belt, learning. And I grew up not just learning one martial art either, which I think is a really key thing for me. My dad was always open to learning all martial arts. And he came up in the, the Jeet Kune Do system, which was really like the first MMA. You know, like I said, it was, it was kind of mixed martial arts. They, they understood how to, how to develop a self-defense system that prepared you for every range of combat, whether it was weapons, kicking, you know, trapping, clinching, of course, punching. You know, it, it all went through the ranges, even into close fighting range. And so he was constantly seeking out knowledge from teachers in each one of those ranges. And so just being that student and being open to learning new things, trying new things and, you know, challenging himself, constantly getting out of, out of his comfort zone as well. Like, it's like, oh, I'm not going to just stick with stand up because that's what I'm good at. I know that I need to learn how to fight on the ground. So I'm going to go out of my comfort zone and study jiu-jitsu. And I mean, I could go on and on and on. That, that's just one. And that's just kind of how it started. And I think that's the pretty much kind of the bottom line 
is being a forever student, you know, always having that white belt mentality, seeking knowledge, finding mentors, and not being scared to go out of your comfort zone inside of that, which is really just being a white belt all, all over again. You know, if you become a, a high level such and such, you know, then you're not getting challenged anymore. Then you need to come over here and, and give something else to try and be a white belt all over again. And that's really what took me into MMA. And, you know, it's kind of the basis of, of everything for me, just trying to keep learning and be timeless. There's the timeless jujitsu. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fantastic, fantastic. And this is something that, I mean, I admittedly did wrong when I started jujitsu. I mean, I came into jujitsu with it being my first martial art. And I drank the Kool-Aid that jujitsu is the definitive martial art. And I mean, nothing. I mean, I love jujitsu, right? I've devoted a significant portion of my life to it. But I think that sometimes in this sport, we're very quick to be dismissive of other martial arts. And to your point, there's a lot that you can learn from it. I mean, I know people who have had life-changing experiences because of the discipline and practice of things like Aikido. I mean, I wouldn't mm-hmm. recommend that you you know use an Aikido base if you're going into the cage, but it's important to keep an open mind because sometimes you can get weird cross-pollination benefits that you didn't think you would get if you try other things. And I love that philosophy of mm-hmm. kind of restarting as a, as a white belt. This is something that my instructor told me when I got my black belt is like, you need to now think that you are a white belt all over again. It's like kind of you hit reset and you start the journey completely fresh because the worst thing that that can happen to you at this point is you get set in your ways and you think you know everything. Yeah, 100%. In the jujitsu, even if we just talk a jujitsu kind of base, like if that's really what you want to center around, that's fine. But then, you know, you have gi and no gi. You have judo and wrestling, which can complement your jujitsu. And then you, you start to go beyond that and say, okay, let's talk about your mobility. What are you doing to practice longevity and build longevity into your jujitsu practice? You know, are you doing yoga, mobility, some sort of strength training? Are you playing with kettlebells, the mace? What's your recovery like? You know, and how, how do we really hone in and fine tune your lifestyle to help you be as efficient and successful as possible on the mats when you're practicing jujitsu. And, you know, that's being a forever student and constantly learning, okay, I need to learn this over here. I need to learn this over there. And all of that's going to make me a better jujitsu artist. And then we, then we, we also circle back and say, okay, now you're at a level, you're a black belt. So then I'm also going to say, well, you should be teaching class, you know, whether or not you have your own school, you could, you know, go up to your instructor and say, Hey, I'd love to cover one class a week or every other week for you. You tell me what works best, but now it's time for you to start to work on your communication skills and pass on what you've learned, because that's only going to make you have a stronger relationship with what you do, why you do it, uh, your techniques, your positions, and it's only going to make you better, you know? So it's another way to make you better. And I'm, I'm so fortunate that everyone I've ended up coming across in my martial arts journey, they're really amazing in all of those areas. And, and most of them are also competitors as well. You know, so you're a student, competitor, and teacher, which is something that I talk a lot about inside my timeless jujitsu group and the mindset that goes behind all of that. But what happens is, so I have my wrestling coach, for example, who is also my judo teacher as well, my judo sensei. He's one of my jiu-jitsu black belts. So I'm his student and he's my student. My Muay Thai coach, who is also my head MMA coach, he is also one of my jiu-jitsu black belts. So I'm his student. He is my student. My father is in my corner for all my fights. He's a lifelong martial artist. He's learning from my wrestling coach 
from my Muay Thai coach. He's also learning from Shanji. You know what I mean? My mobility teacher, Cameron Shane, who does the Budokan mobility. He's also one of my jiu-jitsu students. He's a brown belt. And so basically what happens is when, when we all get in the room, which was basically what was happening during my, my MMA journey, is we would all spend time together, a significant amount of time together because of training camp and, and getting ready for the fight. But we would all be together for you know a week, two weeks, and, and some of them for weeks on end because they really spend a lot of time with me. My Muay Thai coach would, would just stay with me for two months to get ready for the fight. And what was going on is we're just like all learning from each other. And I got to kind of be the centerpiece of it. But even when I was done, Shanji would go and do another session with my Muay Thai coach and they were learning from each other and exchanging. And so this exchange of knowledge and information where everyone is no ego, ready to learn, excited to learn. Everyone is so generous with their technique and their knowledge ready if you want to spend an hour two hours three hours learning they are ready to teach you for as long as you want you know and just be there and give and give and give and then of course the other person gives back and then so there's this knowledge exchange that's happening where i 100 percent believe was the reason for my mma success and why it came so fast because the growth was exponential we were all connected as one piece and I got to be the center of it. You know, usually if you look at the MMA camps out there, there's the wrestling coach, there's the Muay Thai coach, there's the jiu-jitsu coach, whatever, but they're all separate from each other. You know, the jiu-jitsu coach isn't also learning Muay Thai. You know what I mean? He's not doing Muay Thai with the Muay Thai coach and the wrestling coach might not really care about jiu-jitsu or might not care about Muay Thai either or whatever. But the fact that they were all connected and all students and teachers of each other and then i'm kind of the centerpiece and then you throw my dad in the mix who is still there still learning and just kind of you know setting the example for all of us as a true martial artist it was just incredible and i just improved at a rapid rate so i don't remember how i got into all that but i was just thinking about you know your practice you know at some point you should be a teacher as well and that only helps helps you learn and grow even more you know, it's funny you bring that up because I, like I mentioned before we started recording, I've been off the mats for about a year now and I've kind of had to figure out a way to stay sharp when I don't have really any capacity to train. And during that time, you know, my brother Matt and I, we got to thinking, well, you know what, let's really go all in on this podcast. Like, let's make this the best resource that we can. And we put a lot of time into focusing rather than just on training. You know, I put a lot of effort into teaching and providing material and content. And I, what I found actually, and maybe you can tell me if you agree, is that this process of forcing me to organize my thoughts so that I could teach them to other people and communicate, I think it actually made me better than if I had just gone to the mats and just mindlessly drilled for a year. Like I came out of this quarantine feeling like I actually learned a lot despite the fact that I haven't been training because by trying to absorb and communicate information, it's led me to some realizations that I never really even thought of before. So I always tell people, you know, when they're hesitant to teach because they think, ah, there's nothing in it for me. Well, first of all, you have to have a giving mindset. But second, I find there actually is a lot in it for you because by teaching, it actually helps you clarify your own understanding of what you're doing. 100%, 100%. You nail it on the head. And then just imagine like, 
doing that and training <laughs> at the same time, you know, the way you feel that you've improved and have a clear sense of understanding and vision. Imagine if you were training at the same time while you were doing that, you know, one of the kind of the foundations inside my book or one of the, the, the things I talk about heavily, but one of the principles, it's something that's been talked about a lot in several books. And, and I'm sure you probably had someone on your podcast has already mentioned it, but like finding your why, you know, your purpose, you know, that's a question. Like, it's kind of funny. You take a little kid, for example, that maybe, you know, your, your child is at that age where they're just so curious and it's like, like, why this daddy? Why this? Why this? You know, sometimes that's a really good question for you to ask yourself, you know, especially on the mats in jujitsu, for example, in any given situation in the gi, you know, you could have thousands of different options, you know, this grip, that grip, go that way, go this way. You know, there's so many different pieces and ways that you can move those pieces. And so one of the things that I've really tried to hone in over the years as a teacher early on, maybe I didn't appreciate it enough, but now I'm so grateful that I started teaching when I was like 15 at a really young age, teaching adult classes to help my father. You know, by the time I was 17, I was a purple belt. So I was always like, of course, the most, one of the most advanced guys on the mat because I was here at home in Oklahoma and we never had a black belt. I mean, it was just us, me and my dad building our own team. And, you know, early on, it was just about the techniques, you know, just giving steps, you know, here's, here's the technique and here's the steps to do it. But then as you get older, then I start to really give the mindset, you know, I, I start to think about the mindset of the position and the why, why do I do it like this? What am I thinking? What is my purpose in any given situation on the mat, you know, in, in every position and why, you know, why do I do it that way versus the other way? And, and someone may be really good, maybe blue belt, purple belt, even a black belt could be, you know, and, and they might have a, a game or a certain set of techniques or positions that they use very successfully when, when they train. But if you say, if you go to and ask them, say, Hey, you know, I've seen that technique before and I've seen it other variations, you know, why do you do it like this? Or why does it work for you that way? when I can't get it to work for me, they might kind of stumble on that and not really be able to fully answer it. Well, this is just how I've always done it. And this is just how it works for me and not really have a great way to break that answer down, you know, until they've started teaching. And then as they teach it, you know, like I said, the relationship with that technique is going to grow. It's going to change and say, okay, why do I do it this way? You know, what is it about my body style, the way that I like to move, you know, the way that I apply the technique that makes it work for me. And then you, you figure things out, you know, and I think that's going back to life. I mean, like in everything you do, you should understand your why. I'm on this podcast right now to put out positive information and try to make an impact on people. From here, I'm going to go teach class. And I'm going to try to help those people personally. You know, one of my biggest whys is just to inspire. That's why I'm working on a book. You know, that's why I'm still competing to lead from the front. And if you don't understand that, I think it's in, in anything that you're doing, it's easy to get a little lost and not really find happiness or find big results, you know, kind of get stagnant because you're not fulfilling any sort of purpose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my daughter is four and she's of that age now where why this, why that, right? And it's it's funny because when children do that, we 
as adults, we kind of think of that as annoying, but honestly, it's brilliant. And it's one of those things that I wish we didn't grow out of is that inquisitive nature. It's interesting. In my day job, I, I work in technology and we have a diagnostic technique that we call the five whys, which is if something goes wrong or if you want to understand something, you have to ask why at least five times to peel back the layers of the onion. So if you're building a website and it goes down, why did it go down? Well, there was a bug. Well, why was there a bug? Well, because our QA didn't catch it. Well, why did our QA not catch it? Because we don't have enough resources. Why don't we have enough resources? Because we're cheap, right? If you, if you distill things down far enough and you peel back those layers of the onion, you get past surface problems and eventually you'll find something quite profound on the inside. And I love how you're doing that because everyone has one level of why that they can answer quickly. Like, why did you get that Americana? Oh, because I, you know, because I did X, Y, Z. But once you start mm -hmm. peeling back the layers, eventually people are going to start telling you about their principles and their meaning. And that's, that's where things start to get really interesting because that's where you're not just learning a little detail anymore, but you're learning an entire strategy or mindset. And in jujitsu, I feel that a lot of the time when we teach things are a little bit too surface level. So I always appreciate it when instructors go past the minutia and they actually start explaining why and getting their students to ask why as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes me think of one of my favorite Bruce Lee quotes. I might not get it exactly right, but basically what he says is as a teacher of martial arts, he's more of a guide. You know, he's a guide to help you find your way, not give you his way necessarily, but help you understand enough to where you can find your own way. And, and that's exactly how I see it. You know, one of the things I'm most proud of on my mats at my school, you are not going to be able to find an exact replica of me, but it's quite possible that if they weren't wearing my patch, you could train with my guys and not know. I mean, I would say when they're on top, you might kind of feel it a little bit because I, I'm a firm believer in pressure. And that is something that is kind of like a deeper purpose with me is to pass on pressure. But beyond that, everyone is very much their own. They have their own style, their own game. And even with the pressure, everyone has their own way in doing it. No one is really playing exactly the way that I do. Because the truth is I do a lot because I never had a teacher. My game kind of jumped around quite a bit. So I have a lot of pieces from a lot of people that I put together in my own way. But it, it actually gave me some hardships on the way up because my game changed too much. I didn't stick with one thing long enough. When I would travel and I would learn something new, I would, I would play with that. And then when I would travel again learn from someone different who had a different style, I would get some of that. I didn't have like a specific, you know, black belt that I would really get to model my game after. But now I really am thankful for that because if I have a student that I believe once, you know, that maybe half guard is the best game for them, I can teach half guard. If I have someone that I think once should do close guard, I can teach close guard. I can teach, you know, spider guard. And, and, and of course, all of it, I do a little bit of, but it may not be my A game. But because I learned so many different from so many different people coming up, I can pass on a lot of different um, material that may not be necessarily what I do. And I give them just the foundation and then they can take it and make it their own. And I just give them the guide. It's okay. Here's the, the fundamental things you need to, you need to build from your guard, you know, as far as like how to build and create and connect it, you know, which is another thing that I'm really big on is the connection and just kind of guide them. Like I was saying the the Bruce Lee quote. And then, you know, at the end of it, hopefully they're finishing 
with a Kimura from side control or they're finishing on the back or they're finishing from mount. But the way that they get there is all theirs. You know, it, it's all their fingerprint. It's not like me. No one, there's really very few of my students who move like me. And uh, that's something I'm very proud of, but it's just like being that guide. Yeah, absolutely. I think that a mistake a lot of instructors make is they try to cookie cutter themselves, right? They try to copy and paste their own game into their students, but for a variety of reasons, you know, just body type, natural ability, even just your goals in the martial art, that cookie cutter approach doesn't work. And it's also not interesting, right? I think jujitsu is at its best, or even I would say martial arts are at their best when there's a degree of self-expression involved. That's, I think, once you get to a high level, one of the things that you find most valuable in the martial arts is that it is a form of self-expression. So just expecting your students to just duplicate mindlessly what you do is, in my mind, not a productive approach. And that's one of the cool things about jujitsu is that it is very amorphous and in flux, right? It's always changing because as every new generation comes up, they've got little alterations or additions to the game that didn't exist before. But on that note, though, something I'd like to ask you about, something you've mentioned in previously here a few minutes ago, and I know it's an important topic to you. I'd love to explore this concept of timeless jujitsu a bit. This is something that I, I think I understand, but it resonates quite a bit with me. What do you mean when you talk about timeless jujitsu? Like, what does that philosophy really mean, if we can unpack it? Sure. Well, there's a lot of layers to it. And it was actually something that came to me uh, last year during quarantine, making my return to jujitsu, you know, trying to find a new why when I had to take a step step away from MMA. And, you know, I put the gi back on and wanted to get back into competition and, and just thinking about, okay, what, what is it for now? You know, what is it about now? Because obviously it's not, it's not really about winning titles anymore. You know, when I was younger and coming up, like that was kind of the most important thing to me. Of course, I wanted to teach and help those around me. But as far as my day to day, I was really trying to just make my mark and, you know, solidify myself as one of the best. And nowadays, it's not really about that anymore. Of course, I still, I love to compete and I want to challenge myself against the best and, and still be there and still be here. But as I was wrapping my head around, all right, what, what's now? What's, what can I do now? What can I really, you know, how can I inspire people? And what is my why? You know, at this point, I'm really just hoping and wanting to live a life where I can be on the mats and feel feel good and feel like I can hold my own for as long as possible. You know, I want longevity. For me, the most important thing is longevity. Um, you know, I, I want to be able to be able to train and and train hard uh, relatively. You know, when I'm in my fifties, when I'm sixty, you know, my dad's sixty three. He still gets on the mats. You know. And that's what I want for myself, but on the highest level possible. You know, I love jujitsu so much and, and I just want to, I just want to live it for the rest of my life. So when I think about that and I think about where I'm at now, as far as the experiences, the people that I've been able to meet and the mindset and, you know, already being 38 or about to be 38, I'm pretty old <laughs> as far as jujitsu standards go. You know, most, if you look at the top 10 in any, weight category, especially the smaller guys, they're all in their 20s, you know, early 20s. And then maybe as they get a little heavier, there's a few here and there that are around my age, guys from my generation, like Cyborg, like Lucas Lepre, 
you know, like Shanji, you know, those kind of guys. Cobrinha, who was 37 or something like that when he had his incredible year and won everything, you know, and I think they're on the same wavelength, you know, they're on the timeless jiu-jitsu wavelength as well. And let me go a step further. So what is that? All right. Number one, I've already mentioned it, being a forever student. Number two, a competitor. To me, the next level past being a student is competing. You know, you step out of your comfort zone to walk into a school, to be a white belt, to start something new. And after a while, you're going to get comfortable there. You're going to get comfortable getting smashed and you're going to kind of start to figure things out, you know, and you should then challenge yourself a step further by competing. Why? Because competing is only going to help you learn more, you know, where your mistakes are, where your flaws are, where you're weak, what you can improve on, how you respond, what's going on on the inside. You know, do you give up? Do you, you know, how do you deal with the pressure and the anxiety, all those sort of internal things, the self-talk, the mindset, you know, that, that can help us so much just in, in life in general. And then being a teacher, like I said, at some point, you know, passing on and giving back, you know, all those guys that I mentioned before are doing those things. And then what else? The lifestyle, you know, the, the things that you're doing to build longevity inside of your routine. We can't, I can't train the way I used to train when I was a kid. You know, yes, I'm in great shape now, but I'm not doing what I was doing 10 years ago by any means or 15 years ago. You know, I used to go, I used to literally train every day for over a month straight. Mm -hmm. I would train on Sundays. I, I would go hard every single day, multiple times a day. It was not uncommon for me to literally train six hours a day in, in some shape or form, you know, morning, night, and then some sort of strength and conditioning in between. And I was okay doing that. Like, you know, but now I look at everything and I say, okay, you want me to do this? All right, cool. This is going to help me. But can I do that for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. If you're showing me some hard weightlifting type crazy thing, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say, uh, I think that's going to get pretty difficult. That's probably already difficult now for me, but definitely in a few more years, it's going to be even more difficult, you know? And so that's where the yoga, the mobility, you know, the lifestyle, the way that you eat and rest and, you know, practice active recovery, you know, the training methods that you do use, the machines that you use, the the tools that you use, you know, can you get on that thing or you pick up that tool and use that still when you're in your fifties or your sixties, you know, that's what I, how I look at it now. And I feel like I've really developed a lot of knowledge around in each one of those areas from, you know, being the student and the competitor and the teacher and inside of that, the techniques and the positions, the, the technical efficiency that will help me be successful. You know, even, even certain positions when I was a kid, I would do, I can't do anymore, you know? And so now I see that I'm like, all right, I was putting energy into something that I can't continue developing for the rest of my life, you know? So why, why do those positions that could potentially hurt me or, you know, or require a certain amount of flexibility or athleticism? And that's not going to serve me well when I'm in my late thirties or in my forties, fifties, sixties, you know, and, and that's where the simple jujitsu really comes in. And sometimes I don't even like the word simple because it makes it sound like it's, it's easy, but there is a, an art to mastering those fundamental techniques, you know, that is not simple by any means, you know, the details and uh, the amount of time 
that it takes to master like the mount, for example. I mean, that was one of the last things that I did master inside of my game. It takes a long time, but now I can mount, you know, I'll be able to mount people forever for the rest of my life. And I, I guarantee when I'm in my fifties and I mount a 20 year old, he's still going to be in big trouble. I guarantee it. You know what I mean? But then, like I said, going back to the the practices off the mats, what you do, you know, making sure you can do those things forever. I'm going to be able to pick up a kettlebell for the rest of my life. It may not be as heavy as a kettlebell, but I can still pick up that kettlebell and move that thing around and get a great functional workout in inside of 30 minutes or less. I mean, 20 minutes and feel great. You know, I'm going to be able to do yoga for the rest of my life. I'm going to be able to practice mobility for the rest of my life. The mace, I can pick up a 10 pound mace for the rest of my life and move that thing around and it's going to be good for me and, and give me functional strength and also be fun. You know, the movement practices are so important. And so I put all that together, you know, and then there's the, the foundations of timeless jujitsu the pillars of timeless jujitsu. It's not a style per se. It's not uh, a certain, you know, technique or, or anything like that. It's not Lovato jujitsu. It's not anything. It's, it's just what I'm searching for. It's what I'm working towards. And I feel like I really have a lot of those things in place. I figured a lot out and this is just how I'm kind of giving it a name and giving, giving it something to, or giving something to the people that they can, that they can follow and be inspired by. I think if you ask any jujitsu practitioner in the world, hey, would you want timeless jujitsu? I mean, I'm sure they would all say yes. You know what I mean? And and that's what I'm working towards. You know, I'm not saying that I'm there. I still make mistakes. I'm still learning, still growing, but that's the point. That's that's it. I'm still a student. I'm gonna be a forever student and I'm just gonna keep giving back everything that I can along the way. You know, while you're talking here and and you're sharing this concept of timelessness, it's funny because it's making me remember what I felt like when I started jujitsu. You know, I remember being in my my early 20s and falling totally in love with this art. Like I think everyone who tries it, or at least everyone who's listening to the podcast probably has done. And I remember, you know, the stuff that I was doing then that I thought was the right thing to do was super unsustainable and very short-term focused. You know, I remember that at that time I was going to to train like 15 times a week and I'm a hobbyist. I mean, I you know, I have a full-time job. To me this was a hobby and it had still become so all-encompassing and I remember too trying to work things into my game that simply were not sustainable. Like I I think we've all done dumb things in our early days, but I remember thinking like is there a way to to do a to backflip over someone's guard to try to pass <laughs> them? Like I I think we've all had that moment and I love what you're talking about here, where you're talking about thinking long-term. And this is something I've noticed as a difference between people who are newer versus people who are more experienced. When when I talk to white belts or blue belts and I ask them what their goal is, you know, usually the goal is something very short-term, like I want to be a gold medalist or I want to be a champion or something like that, or I want to get up to this belt. It's a very like myopic specific goal. But when you talk to people who are more experienced, usually like 30 plus black belts, they'll say things like, I want to represent the philosophy of jujitsu, or I want to use jujitsu as a vehicle for meaning, or I want to spread mm -hmm. knowledge. Like it's a much broader goal. And when you get mm -hmm. to a certain point, I find that people's goals actually expand beyond themselves, right? And I think that as you kind of move into that that leadership role in the community, you're no longer just thinking about goals that are self-serving, 
but you're thinking about goals that will benefit the community at large and and continue on long after you're gone. And mm -hmm. this is, I think, the difference between people who have staying power and people who disappear. Like there's a lot of fantastic competitors who they achieve tremendous things, but then at some point they just drop off the map. And then there's other people who are able to parlay that jujitsu competitive background into something bigger, like building, building a community, building an association, building a business. And I think that really there, the big difference is timelessness, right? It's about focusing on what, what can I do as a, how can I use my time as an investment? Like not just to do something and check a box, but how can I use my time as an investment so that what I'm doing, it's it's not something with an expiration date, like it's going to continue to pay dividends to me and the people around me for years and years and decades to come. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 100%, 100%, I totally agree. And, you know, kind of going back to earlier in our conversation, one of the very first things you opened up with as far as how to kind of do it all, you know, so to speak, student, competitor, teacher. I mean, you could do that over and over in other things, you know, business, you start business, you got to be a white belt. You got to, you got to find a teacher. You're going to have to have, have a mentor. And if you want to compete in that business, obviously whatever business you're in, there's going to be other people in the same business, right? And so you have to find how to set apart yourself from them and how to, you know, rise up through the ranks, so to speak. Well, then you're going to need to find like, you know, the other successful people, the other champions of that business and learn from them and you're going to have to train hard and drill and do lots of repetition and you know go through ups and downs and temporary failures just like competition you know you're not going to just win every tournament from white to black belt and never lose you know and become a black belt world champion you know you're going to go through those ups and downs you're going to have to learn from your losses come back stay positive keep learning keep growing keep going and then you know i think by the time you get to a place where you're ready to teach you can then systemize your business and teach others how to do that business and really be able to come out of it, you know, and say, okay, that's ready to run long term now. And now I can move on to something else or whatever that may be. There's no secret. It's just learning, you know, not stopping, not quitting on the ups and downs along the way, surrounding yourself by the right people with the right people. And then when you get to that stage where now, like I can see other people so, so much better, you know, and like the ones that have been in my life for a long time, obviously, because that's the, the wavelength that I'm on and have, and have really honed in on because they've been around me for a long time. They've also honed in on that same wavelength. Like Sean Jihibeto, for example, he is a true martial artist. He is a, someone that exemplifies timeless jujitsu and He's also someone that I can constantly learn from and he's, he has that energy, he has connections, you know, and then I can get his connections, you know what I mean? And, and, and he gets my connections, you know, he's now a student of Cameron Chain, the Budokan mobility and so on and so forth. Like you just end up, you know, kind of almost having like a magnet where like more and more of those people come into your life and maybe they were always there. Maybe you just couldn't see them. But for me, it feels like especially because now I'm talking about time and I'm not a kid anymore, you know? And so you're around different people and other people that have stood the test of time. And now I just feel like there's just an overwhelming amount of knowledge and opportunities and people to learn from, you know, all the time. And it just makes me more, that much more excited, you know, and, and also more confident to challenge myself in new areas like the book that I'm working on 
which I 100% could see a podcast coming down the line and all of which are, are, you know, they're going to be challenges for me. It's like, okay, now I want, I want to put out the best book possible. I'm going to make the best podcast possible. And, you know, but it's new goals and it's also new ways for me to learn, you know, inside of the book, I've learned a lot about myself, more about what I want to say, why, what are my whys? And then now that's helping me speak better and teach better, which then makes me hone in on my skills more and you know it just it's a never-ending circle man but for me it's just so beautiful and that's one of the things i love most about the timeless because it's uh, my logo for that is an infinity symbol with a black belt and it's just like the infinity it never stops it's never ending it keeps going and then it just gets stronger and stronger as you go like now with all this information and knowledge that you're getting through your podcast when you get back on the mats, man, I fully believe you're going to have a big jump in your game, your energy, your mindset, your inspiration is going to be operating on a higher level. And so your game is going to go through the roof. And then so many more good things are going to keep happening to you because of that. And, you know, it's just beautiful. It's awesome. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because I remember when my daughter was born, I took a good amount of time off of jujitsu as well. And I came back and of course, from a technical standpoint, after a long layoff, I was rusty, right? But what actually I found was very interesting is while I was gone from jujitsu, I had basically focused on my job, which involves a lot of like mindsets, learning, systems thinking, team building. And I was actually really surprised at how when I came back to jujitsu, all of these other principles and, and ideas I'd learned elsewhere in life were totally applicable to my time on the mats. And, you know, once I shook off the rust, I was way better almost immediately than I ever had been before. And this, this idea of things that kind of bleed over into other walks of life is something that I think a lot of people don't really believe until they've seen it themselves. I mean, I remember before I got into martial arts, like I would see these executives go on about how they read like Sun Tzu's The Art of War. And I think you guys are a bunch of posers, right? There's no crossover between this stuff. But like now I have a completely 180 approach to that. I mean, there is so much in common between combat sports and really the rest of your life because all martial arts are. I mean, when I joined martial arts, I got into this thing because I wanted to get in shape and I wanted to learn how to defend myself. I've never had to use jujitsu to defend myself. But what I have done is I've used jujitsu as a vehicle for personal growth because it teaches you how to learn and how to interact with people and how to build good training partners. And that's the benefit I never thought I'd get out of this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Problem solve. You also learn how your own frustrations and emotions your ego, you know, all of those things are your, can be your downfall. You know, they're your worst enemy. You know, you learn how to breathe, how to stay calm, how to stay positive, you know, how to overcome adversity and, and just keep going. And as long as you never quit, you're always going to get there, you know, and, and that's it, man. As long as you don't stop, and you keep going, you're going to become a black belt one day. And and that's really how I feel about anything. You can achieve anything as long as you keep going. It's really incredible because I, I mean, I know that it's cliche to say that consistency is key, but it really is. You know, I have over the years, I've trained with a bunch of people who are bigger than me, stronger than me, more athletic than me. And at any given point in time, maybe they're able to beat me. But like one thing that I know now, having done martial arts for as long as I have, is when these, when these guys come in and they're young and they're strong and they're athletic, I just think, you know, 
just give it time, buddy. <laughs> you know, in 10 years, I'm still going to be here and all of those advantages for you are going to be gone. So everything mm-hmm. will be stripped bare except for the timeless. And that's when you learn what timeless things did you truly keep and what what things that you were relying on were actually short-term investments that are now gone. Uh, and I, I love that mindset. Now, something that you, you've talked about repeatedly here is the importance of relationships. And this is something that I don't think we talk enough about in the martial arts. I mean, I think that especially when we look at ace competitors, there's this perception that competition is inherently selfish and it's about putting yourself first. And to some degree, that's true because you have to make sacrifices and prioritize to train. But at the end of the day, I think one of the things that really differentiates people who have longevity in the sport is their ability to build quality relationships. And you talked about how like the key to your success was building this group of of mutual mentors, people where you are their mentor in some capacity and they are your mentor in in another capacity. And and that ability to kind of create this network effect where all of these people together are greater than like the sum of the individuals, that I think is so key to any long-term success, especially if you want to build a business or any sort of team endeavor. And I think that that's why a lot of competitors, when they go on to create their own gym, they kind of suck at it because they never learned that skill, right? They never learned how to invest in the community around them and reap the rewards for doing that. This is something I myself have struggled with, and I'd love to get your perspective on this. Like, how do you go about finding a mentor? How do you go about creating a mutual mentorship relationship? Like, how does that even work? How do you attract the best into your circle so that you can all help each other? Oh, man. You know, I think you got to be open and see everybody for, for their strengths. You know, if you're a competitor, you might only want to hang with other young competitors. You know what I mean? And and guys that are kind of doing exactly what you're doing right now. And maybe you're not as open as what you should be to, you know, other outside relationships and and what you can learn from from other people that may not even be really in your given field or, or, or what you're focused on in that current time. And that's where I think like, I mean, jujitsu, when we're on the mats, you know, there's so many different walks of life on those mats and we're kind of all together and all one and you know you build relationships with those people through the energy exchange through being present with them and and giving your best you know uh, maybe if you're with another competitor giving your best is, is battling hard you know i definitely had years and years and years and years of that with with shanji hibeto you know giving my best to him was trying to go after him and him giving his best to me was the same. And we loved each other afterwards. You know, every time it was all love. Maybe when you're on the mats, you know, you're with that middle-aged guy that's got a family and, and a career and everything. And, you know, the best that you can do for him is to give him more of a flow, you know, and guide him a little bit. And then you're, you're building a new relationship. Someone now that guy's going to love to train with you and who knows what he can teach you, what he can teach you about life, you know? And I mean, if he's a success and he's made a career or an entrepreneur or made a business, has a family and he's freaking on the mats training when he has all the reasons to just say, oh, I'm a success. I have my family. I'm good, you know, but he's still challenging himself and still being a white belt. There's definitely something special about that guy and you should make him your friend. 
just being friendly, like just being positive, putting that energy out there to people, people feel it. And that, that really comes down to being present. You know, if you meet someone, if you're there, you're in a, a place where, you know, you come across someone and really try to meet them, really try to under, understand who they are, get to know them, ask them questions. And you never know, that person might have exactly what you need, you know, and that's really how I met. I met a lot of really awesome people that way. And of course, martial arts really opened up a lot of doors because martial arts brings so many different people into it and it kind of it bridges the gap i mean i'm not just like at the mall just like going up and talking to people random people you know but when you come across those people when when an invitation has been made you know here's or or someone is putting themselves out there to want to get to know you or something like that or i think it's just worth always exploration and when you're with those people being present, you know, really being present and giving that good, good vibe, giving that good energy. And really, it, it never goes to waste. It never, it never doesn't do anything, you know, uh, whether they become a great friend or not, you know, they still get to go on about their day with a good impression of you. And if you got to talk about jujitsu or martial arts, then maybe that person is now going to go sign up at a school. Or they're going to put their kids in the school and, and they'll never forget you for that. You know what I mean? So. I'm definitely like on that energy, you know, wavelength. Like I, I, I just try to put out good vibes and inside of that, man, the people just come. Yeah. Yeah. This reminds me actually of one of the, the things I've noticed as a big downside during this pandemic. You know, you mentioned how in the jujitsu world, it brings people from all walks of life. I mean, martial arts and jujitsu, from my experience, they're very much a universal leveler, right? Like you will <clears throat> meet people from all walks of life. The challenge I have now is without my mat time, like one of the unforeseen consequences is my social circle has basically been restricted to my coworkers. And don't get me wrong, I, I love my coworkers, but what winds up happening is you wind up only interacting with people who are very similar to yourself. And it's like kind of like a cookie cutter. You know, I'm dealing with a bunch of people who are just like me. And I've noticed, you know, months of doing this, it's very much narrowed my my world experience because I'm only talking to people who say the same thing as me and believe the same thing as me. The thing about jujitsu is they're is no barrier to entry, right? You will encounter people, at least in a good gym, you'll encounter people from all walks of life. And I miss that. So very much looking forward to things getting back to normal here and, you know, making some new friends because I agree with you, right? It's every relationship you have is a quality investment. I mean, not everyone who helps you is going to be some like celebrity world champion. A lot of the time, the people who can help you most are just regular people, but maybe they have one very specific lesson they can teach you that they're really good at, and they'd be the only person who could teach it to you. It's not always going to be the, the most famous name that is able to help you. I mean, from my experience, you know, one of your guys, Kabir Bath, he and I uh, grew up at the same school here. You know, we both started jujitsu at the same place. And at the time, I mean, he was he was a blue belt when I met him. And, you know, when he started becoming a more active coach, he was a purple. And even back then, Kabir is one of my favorite instructors I've ever had. And I mean, I've had the opportunity to train with some incredible black belts and incredible name instructors over the years. But to this day, I don't think any instructor has had kind of the same profound impact on my game as this nerdy purple belt who, you know, he was a nobody at the time, right? So it it's funny how like the investing in the people around you can pay dividends in ways you wouldn't expect because you don't always know who's going to give you the best lesson. Yeah. 
And, and here's here's the deal with Kabir. When he teaches class, he's in the moment. He's like, okay, I'm going to give my best right now. You know, this is going to be my best. You know, you know, that's an attitude, right? That is an attitude. Like it's not, it doesn't come down to your technique. It doesn't come down to if you're a world champion or not. You know, you are going to make a difference and, you know, really reach people through your attitude. And his attitude is, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best and you can feel it. And he's present. He's not thinking about this or that, or I'd rather just be training or I really, you know, just want to get this class over with so I can roll, you know what I mean? Or whatever, you know, it's, it's not about him. He's not thinking about anything else. He's just like, okay, I'm going to give my absolute best in this class right now for them, but which really in turn comes back to him anyways. And so, and that's, that's kind of like what I was saying, like being in the moment and, you know, giving your best to people in every way, you know, practice that attitude, you know, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And so that's it, man. Yeah. Always give your best. And people remember that they do like you still remember Kabir. And that's why he's one of my favorite guys, one of my best teachers, someone that I'm so proud of. And he just, he came to me naturally. He was a friend of a friend and then boom, you know, and that's really how everyone in my association has ended up part of the family has been very organic, you know, uh, just end up finding one person that is very much, you know, the same as me and, and doing similar and wanting, wanting the, the same things for their school and their team. And then that leads to someone else, you know, and because they are putting that energy out there and get someone else that's on the same vibe. And then it just, it just expands and it grows. And, you know, you end up, like I said, with all these resources. Now I learn from Kabir. I really do. When I watch him teach, I'm inspired by him. When I need, you know, business advice, things like that. He's one of my first go-to guys because I know, I know where his heart is. I know he always wants the best for his school and he's been doing it a long time and he's studied hard. He's been a student, you know, in in business, in school, he was going to be a lawyer. You know, he's very well read. He invests in himself that I kind of put right back into everything, you know, on the success formula, so to speak, you know, investing in yourself is huge. And that usually happens whenever you're looking for a mentor and you're looking to learn from people, you know, it's going to take an investment. You might have to travel. You might have to buy books or or attend a seminar or something like that you have to invest in material to be able to learn but that is the best investment you can make and he's done that over and over again i've done that as well and you know two brains are better than one and just keep expanding that circle until you got all the all the brains you need Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for dropping by, Raphael. I really appreciate it. I guess the next question here then is if people want to learn more about this timeless jujitsu philosophy, where do they go to do it? So I have a Facebook group, the Thomas Jiu-Jitsu Facebook group that could be easily found if you search for it. Or like if you go to my Facebook page or my Instagram page or profile, you will see a link for it there. So if you follow me on social media, there's probably already a link right there for you to join my Facebook group. And it, you can also just go to timelessjujitsu.com and get in on the know, you know, on the list of upcoming information and things that I'm putting out there for everybody. But uh, at the very least, just join the group. And yeah, 
you'll you'll see what's going on. I'm about putting free techniques in there all the time, sharing videos, mindset stuff. The day before I competed on Friday, I actually went live with Shanji Hibeto. And uh, we basically did like an hour long private lesson. It's kind of almost spur of the moment for everybody inside the group. And that was really cool. And, you know, he'll be someone that will be a big, big piece of the Thomas Jiu-Jitsu movement as well. But uh, a lot of big things coming, man. I got that. More competition, stuff with my team, building our, our network of schools and the association, working on this book. Yeah. Yeah. Just trying to stay busy. <laughs> well, you are a busy guy, man. And I do appreciate you taking some of that time to swing by here and, and talk about the stuff. I think it's an awesome philosophy. And I'm really glad we got to share some of that today. Of course, to all of the listeners, if you want to check us out and support us, best way to do that is on our Patreon, patreon.com slash BJJ Mental Models. Again, those of you who are on there already know why you should be on there. But for those who aren't, it's an awesome community. We have a lot of great discussion about detailed concepts and philosophies, actually similar to what we talked about here today. Kabir's on the group too. So if you want to come join and also get all of our other premium stuff, patreon.com slash BJJ Mental Models. Raphael, again, thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Hope to talk to you again sometime because there's a lot to explore here and a lot to unpack. And I think this was a fantastic conversation. Yeah, 100%. It was my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Wish you all the best. And uh, hopefully things open up there soon. And maybe the next time I come visit Kabir, we can also get on the mats together as well. Oh man, I would love that. That would be fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Talk to you guys next time.